Hello, and welcome to episode number 12 of the JS Bach Files. I'm Terrence O'Grady, and today we're going to look at the final three parts of the Christmas Oratorio. The fourth cantata contained within the Christmas Oratorio was designed for performance on New Year's Day, the Festival of the Circumcision. It begins with a robust opening chorus in F major and 3-8 time, which features horns and oboes prominently, along with the regular contingent of strings and continuo. The main thematic material is actually fairly sedate, at least by comparison to the earlier celebratory choruses. But as a number of commentators have suggested, the text for this cantata may be considered more reflective and meditative rather than celebratory. The text is, Fall with thanks, fall with praise, before the throne of mercy of the highest. The Son of God is willing to become the Savior and Redeemer of the world. The Son of God subdues the rage and fury of the enemy. The primary thematic idea announced in the opening instrumental ritonello and largely in the first eight bars is simply phrased and devoid of any remarkable or unusual characteristics, either melodically or harmonically. But it does exhibit a nicely shaped contour and, after the first eight bars, does introduce some harmonic variety before settling down to a cadence on F major prior to the introduction of the SATB chorus. The four choral parts proceed in an enriched homophony for the most part, but right from the beginning, Bach introduces a tonic pedal, already hinted at in the opening ritonello, here sustained by the basses, even as the continuo bass fluctuates beneath it. The pedal is sustained into the 14th measure, a bit longer than usual for Bach, and when the basses finally release it to move in contrary motion against the soprano line, the effect of release is palpable. Is there a special symbolic purpose for this long sustained pedal? Bach brings it back three more times in the course of the piece, sometimes shifted to the other voices, so it plays a significant role in defining the essence of the movement. Does it suggest the Christian falling to his knees, or Christ as the unchanging Savior of humanity? Or is it just a way to add a little tension to what is otherwise a fairly conventional chord progression? Pedal effects are sometimes used to emulate drones, of course, to lend a rustic quality to a movement, but this particular movement doesn't seem to be the best candidate for that sort of thing. Since this is another parody movement from the Hercules cantata I mentioned before, we might look to the original text for some hint of its significance. The chorus opens the cantata just as it does here and involves the so-called Council of the Gods, declaring that they will keep watch over Hercules, whom they refer to as our son of the gods. The text goes on to say, our throne while on earth become glorious and transfigured. Clearly, Picander seems to have reviewed his old text before writing the new one, since the language praising the Christ child here seems somewhat related. But there's nothing here that suggests that the long-held pedal is a word-painting gesture or an obviously symbolic effect any more than its usage in part four of the Christmas oratorio does. So in the end, it's probably safest to assume that its use here represents no more than a clever musical device. We'll hear the opening ritonello and into the first choral section. Thank you. 
We hear next from the tenor evangelist, the only time in part four where, with continual accompaniment only, he provides a biblical quote from the Gospel of Luke, singing, And when eight days were passed and the child was to be circumcised, he was given the name Jesus, as he had been called by the angel before he was conceived in his mother's body. It's a simple but sensitive recitative in which Jesus' name appears at the melodic high point. This is followed by a duet between bass and soprano soloists, another one of those distinctive Bachian duets that combine recitative with a traditional chorale. Accompanied by strings and continuo, the bass begins with an earnest recitative. Emmanuel, O sweet word, my Jesus is my refuge, my Jesus is my life, my Jesus has given himself to me, my Jesus shall constantly hover before my eyes, my Jesus is my delight, my Jesus refreshes heart and breast. The soprano then sings the words of a chorale by Johann Rist. Jesus, you are my dearest life, my soul's bridegroom, my heart will never leave you, who gave himself for me on the bitter beam of the cross. But to an original and very elegant melody, while the bass continues its recitative, spelling out a now very familiar dialogue. Come, I will embrace you with delight, my heart will never leave you. Ah, then take me to yourself, even in dying you shall be what I love best. In distress, danger, and affliction I gaze at you with longing. How at last should death strike me with terror. My Jesus, when I die, then I know that I shall not perish. Your name written within has driven away the fear of death. We'll hear the opening bass recitative and a little bit into the soprano's melody. The soprano soloist continues now with an interesting aria based once again on a model from the Hercules Cantata, BWV 213, which uses a second voice to create an echo effect within the melody. This is by no means a Bach invention. Probably its most famous early use can be found in Monteverdi's L'Orfeo opera from 1607, and the echo effect is clearly fundamental to the original setting of Picander's text, where Hercules seeks guidance from what he terms his faithful echo, who twice affirms our hero in his noble choices by reaffirming no and ya at the appropriate moment. Peckender's text for the Christmas oratorio is in many respects similar, although echo is not addressed directly, and the choices which our soprano soloist asks to have affirmed are rather different. In this case, the soprano representing the soul asks, and the echo representing the Savior replies, Does your name instill my Savior? Does it instill even the tiniest seed of that fierce terror? No, you yourself say, no. 
Shall I now be afraid of death? No, your sweet word is there. Or should I rejoice? Yes, you, my Savior, say it yourself, yes. The echo concept plays a major role even in the instrumental Ritonello, where the solo oboe interrupts its lilting, sweetly rustic melody in 6-8 time to echo itself, playing a short motive at the forte level and then echoing it at the piano level. Then, when the soprano solo enters with the same melody, the oboe provides echoes of the soprano's motives in much the same manner. And then later, as the piece progresses, the soprano solo is echoed by a second soprano, or alternately by the oboe again. It's by far the most distinctive aspect of the aria, although not to be underestimated is the way in which Bach subtly transforms the lovely melody harmonically when the subject turns to the fear of death. We'll hear the opening ritonello and a bit of the duet between the soprano and the second soprano echo. The next movement, a duet between soprano and bass soloist, is another hybrid movement, but of a different sort. The bass begins singing in a more or less conventional recitative style, while the soprano joins in after one measure with another chorale text by wrist, sung in well-developed and sustained melodic phrases. The bass sings, Well then, your name alone shall be in my heart. The soprano's more elegant melody, employing wrist text, at times alternating with the bass, at other times overlapping, sings... Jesus, my joy and delight, my hope, treasure, and share. The bass continues, This is what I shall call you in my delight, for my breast and heart burn with love for you. Soprano responds, My redemption, my adornment, and salvation. 
Finally, the bass concludes with, Yet, my beloved, tell me, how can I praise you? How can I thank you? Against the soprano's final text, Shepherd and King, Light and Son, Ah, how can I worthily, my Lord Jesus, give you praise? Some of Bach's attempts at juxtapositions of recitative and lyrical melody lines, noted here in the score as arioso rather than aria, occasionally seem to feel forced and maybe even a little arbitrary, but the transitions here seem quite natural. We'll hear the first part of the movement. The tenor aria that follows represents another subjective commentary reacting to the biblical storyline provided by the evangelist. The text is, I shall live only to honor you, my Savior, give me strength and courage, so that my heart may do right eagerly, strengthen me so that I may worthily and thankfully extol your grace. The music is parodied again from BWV 213, the Hercules Cantata, where it is sung by the character Virtue, also a tenor, with these words. On my wings you will soar aloft, on my pinions you will mount to the stars like an eagle, and through me your glory and splendor will be raised to perfection. It's a noble enough text in the original version, and it's easy to see how Bach and his librettist would believe that the musical sentiments expressed here would work perfectly well for the new version. And it does, but the highly vigorous opening instrumental ritornello in D minor and common time, with its pair of violins chasing one another around, sounds like a call for action, just a little bit more in keeping with the original text, On My Wings You Will Soar Aloft, than with the Christmas Oratorio text, which begins, I Shall Live Only to Honor You. There is no let-up in intensity when the tenor soloist enters, now playing fugal tag with the violin accompaniment and the continual bass line. In the contrasting middle section, the vigorous assertive melodic movement continues, here perhaps matching the new text, strengthen me so that I may worthily and thankfully extol your grace, more obviously. But of course, the first part of the new Christmas oratorio text also asks God to give the singer strength and courage. So even the first part of the text is by no means a poor match to the exhilarating music Bach has provided. One thing is certain, it's a wonderfully dynamic movement, and it's easy to see why Bach would have wanted to give this, and other movements from the same cantata, New Life in the Christmas Oratorio.
The fourth part of the oratorio, the fourth cantata, concludes with another chorale, the text again by wrist, which has supplied a regal-sounding instrumental introduction and musical interludes featuring horns and oboes. The text is, Jesus, guide my beginning. Jesus, stay with me always. Jesus, curb my inclinations. Jesus, be my sole desire. Jesus, be in my thoughts. Jesus, do not let me waver. Here's a little bit of the concluding chorale. The first four cantatas, parts one through four of the Christmas Oratorio, have clearly relied heavily, although by no means exclusively, on music parodied or repurposed from two secular cantatas. The situation is a bit different for cantatas number five and number six. Both are thought to be largely based on parody models for various reasons, but the works from which they were parodied are no longer extant. Anyone wishing to pursue this matter further might well be interested in the very thorough discussions of the subject by Daniel R. Malabit in his book Listening to Bach, the Mass in B Minor, and the Christmas Oratorio, and by Marcus Rathi in his book Bach's Major Vocal Works, Music, Drama, Liturgy, both of which I've mentioned before. Cantata number five, or the fifth part of the Christmas Oratorio, the title of which translates to Let Honor to You, God Be Sung, was performed the Sunday after New Year's, or the second Sunday after Christmas Day. It begins in the traditional manner with a rousing celebratory chorus in A major in 3-4 time, the text of which is, Let honor to you, God, be sung for you. Let praise and thanks be prepared. All the world exalts you because our welfare is pleasing to you, because today all our wishes have been achieved, because your blessing delights us so gloriously. The orchestral ritronello that opens the movement begins with a catchy little phrase from the oboes, and is stocked with standard, very Vivaldi-like arpeggio-based figures by the strings. When the voices enter, they do so in pairs, the soprano and basses, picking up the oboes' initial phrases in tense, quickly echoed by the altos and tenors. The voices continue to draw on triad-based heraldic motives in alternation with the oboes as the first line of the text is extended. As we approach the second line of the text, for you let praise and thanks be prepared, we move from a rhythmically catchy homophonic texture to a contrapuntal one. The tenors start us off with a new figure, one that begins with an offbeat entrance and then immediately drops down before racing up the scale in sixteenth notes. This distinctive little theme is then taken up fugally by the altos and then soon after by sopranos and basses as well. The texture gets very busy very quickly, but is soon varied by sustained notes in various parts. New figures emerge, including a particularly robust one that charges up the scale in repeated rhythms of eighths followed by two sixteenths until we cadence on the dominant E major and we're treated to a brief ritonello. Although there's a show of independent contrapuntal activity when the voices re-enter, and periodically thereafter, it's not long before we're back to strongly rhythmic homophonic passages. A version of the earlier fugal passage then returns, escorting us to the middle section, which is naturally in the relative minor key of F-sharp minor, and which introduces some new variants of the older rhythmic motives, once again interspersing oboe-dominated orchestral interjections. It may on one level be somewhat predictable, 
but it's actually very exciting. As is so often the case, Bach's melodic ideas are new, but sound as if they're the completely logical extensions of what we've already heard. After the middle section closes on F-sharp minor, the da capo sign returns us to the beginning and the repeat of the opening section. We'll hear the opening ritornello and into the first fugal passage. This rousing opening chorus is followed by a recitative from our tenor evangelist who continues the story. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the land of the Jews at the time of King Herod, see, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem and said, in another hybrid movement, sometimes thought to be parodied from a lost St. Mark Passion, we next hear the wise men as the chorus ask of the newborn king, with the alto recitative, providing the sort of devotional commentary or response typical of these movements, where is the newborn king of the Jews? And the alto response, look for him in my breast. Here he lives to my delight in his. The wise men continue, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And the alto completes your commentary, happy are you who have seen the light. It has appeared for your salvation. My Savior, you, you are the light which shall shine on the Gentiles also. And they, they do not know you yet, though they would already worship you. How bright, how clear must your radiance be, beloved Jesus. The largely homophonic opening chorus in B minor with its dramatic pauses exudes a sense of urgency, which the alto soloist de-escalates quickly with its temperate, although still rather somber minor key response, look for him in my breast, here he lives, to my delight in his. The chorus returns now in E minor with snippets of imitation enlivening the texture, perhaps in demonstration of their increasing eagerness to behold the infant Jesus. Back in B minor, the alto has the last word with its final measured response. We'll hear a little of the opening. Seine Stärke, seine Stärke, seine Stärke. 
An orchestrally accompanied chorale follows, based on a text by Georg Weissel. Your splendor consumes all darkness. The gloomy night is changed to light. Lead us in your ways so that your face in your glorious light we may see forever. This is a straightforward harmonization for the most part, focusing on the splendor that consumes all darkness and the changing of the gloomy night to God's glorious light. A bass aria comes next, another meditation on Christ's transformation of darkness to light. The text is, Illuminate also my gloomy thoughts, illuminate my heart with the rays of your clear light. Your word will be the brightest candle for me in all my deeds. This lets my soul begin nothing evil. The solo oboe de Moore plays a big role here. It's pensive but elegant melody, mostly in F-sharp minor, but touching briefly on the relative major, constitutes the most important thematic material in the movement. We'll hear first the introductory ritornello. There is no clear musical evidence of the illumination of these gloomy thoughts in the first section of the aria, but as we encounter the second part of the text, your word will be the brightest candle for me. We feel a notable sense of uplift, at least briefly, as we move to A major. But we return to the minor key solemnity for the last line, and we continue in this manner for a repeat of the first section of text. The melody is nevertheless rich with expressive melismas, and there are wonderful uses of lush dissonances in the harmonies below. The oboe concludes the aria with, as usual, a final repeat of the ritonello. We'll hear an excerpt starting with the entrance of the bass soloist. The evangelist returns with a brief but dramatic recitative. When King Herod heard this, he was afraid, and with him all Jerusalem. This is the first and shortest of three recitatives in a row. The second, by the alto soloist, accompanied by the strings, addresses Herod's fear. Why are you afraid? Can the presence of my Jesus arouse such fear in you? 
Oh, should you not rather rejoice over this, for he promises in this way to restore the well-being of mankind. And in the third and longest recitative, accompanied by Continuo alone, which later takes on the more lyrical character of an arioso, the evangelist tenor continues the story, describing Herod's questioning of the high priest regarding the place of Jesus' birth and their reply to him in Bethlehem in the land of the Jews. This is followed by an unusual trio for soprano, alto, and tenor, the text of which is, Ah, when will the time appear? Ah, when will he who is the comfort of his people come? Be silent, he is already here. Jesus, ah, then come to me. It begins with a ritonella for solo violin and continuo in B minor that briefly introduces the most prominent motive of the movement before lapsing into conventional arpeggio patterns, from which a variant with a more distinctive opening motive gradually emerges once again. The soprano enters first with a ritonella motive, with the tenor joining in in imitation four bars later. The moon remains hesitant and questioning as the two voices voice their anxiety to each other. But when the alto enters, now in D major, admonishing them that Jesus is already present, her voice is calm and evenly measured, no hesitation, no rushing ahead only to fall back, but confident and secure, expressing her beliefs evenly, even as the anxious soprano and tenor engage in elaborate melismas around her. After a recurrence of the ritonello, the doubting soprano and tenor have finally accepted the alto's promise and in fugal imitation declare, Jesus, ah, then come to me. Demonstrating their increasing confidence in Jesus' presence, both lines swell up to their high point shortly before a solid cadence in D major. But there is a relapse, this time in the key of E minor. The tenor and alto return to the first part of the text, questioning again, when will the time appear? And once again the alto must intervene to reassure them with her calm, confident interjections, after which we close the movement with a repeat of the opening ritonello. We'll hear the opening of the movement and through a little of the alto's calming interjections.
We continue with an alto recitative accompanied by a pair of oboes d'amore continuo, which states, My beloved already rules a heart that loves his dominion and gives itself completely to him as his own is the throne of my Jesus. Part 5, the fifth cantata in the cycle, concludes with a final chorale, the text by Johann Frank. Indeed, such a room in my heart is certainly no fine royal palace, but rather a dark pit. Yet, as soon as the rays of your mercy only gleam within there, it will seem filled with sunlight. We'll hear the first part of the chorale. We turn now to the final part of the Christmas Oratorio, the Sixth Cantata, performed on the Feast of Epiphany, which has the rather aggressive title in English translation, Lord, when our arrogant enemies snort with rage. And in fact, the text has a great deal to do with Herod and other perceived enemies of Christ. Marcus Rathi effectively makes the point that in the Lutheran doctrine of the period, the first coming, the historical coming, has been dealt with in the earlier sections of the Oratorio. The second coming, as Rathi puts it, his arrival in the human heart, has obviously also been a major concern in the text of the fourth and fifth parts. The third coming, the return in glory, or as Rathi puts it, his return at the end of time for the battle and salvation of mankind, is very much the subject of this final section. Does Bach employ parodies for this final section of the Christmas Oratorio? Many of the movements are generally thought to be based on an earlier sacred cantata no longer in existence. David R. Malamud makes the convincing case that the missing sacred cantata in question may itself have been based on an earlier secular cantata. At any rate, we have nothing specific with which to compare these final movements of the oratorio. Part 6 opens with what has been sometimes described as a violent chorus, certainly when the text is taken into account although there are also some passages of reduced texture that are almost delicate in nature. The text is, Lord, when our arrogant enemies snort with rage, then grant that we in firm faith may look to your power and help. We want to trust you alone, then we can escape the sharp claws of the enemy unhurt. The opening ritinale begins with the full orchestra, heavily buttressed by three trumpets, oboes and timpani. We see plenty of heraldic, fanfare-like trumpet and horn figures in the celebratory choruses from earlier sections of the oratorio, but the use of trumpets here seems, at least to some ears, as not merely a regal gesture, but an actual call to arms, an interpretation no doubt influenced by the text. We are once again in D major in 3A time, and Bach's harmonic vocabulary is, for the most part, predictably conventional, which is usually the case when the main thematic material is martial or heraldic in character. But Bach, being Bach, he introduces in bar 20 of the Ritonello a brief but surprisingly chromatic side trip, which, just for an instant, interrupts the buoyant, celebratory optimism that has prevailed to this point. When the voices enter with the initial Ritonello theme, they do so fugally, with the tenors leading the way and the violins providing an elegant flowing countermelody. The tenors strongly mark distinctive rhythms of the first three bars quickly give way to a sequential flow of sixteenth notes, just as the text references snorting with rage, 
and soon after the alto leaps in at a fifth higher, to be followed shortly thereafter by sopranos and basses, after which the trumpets take a turn in the imitation. As the second line of the text is introduced, Bach basically repeats the original fugal section against a new trumpet countermelody, but as the piece unfolds and each new line of text is introduced after that, Bach introduces new thematic material to support it, although in each case the new material is clearly related to the original fugue theme in its rhythm, contour, or both. These new themes are usually treated contrapuntally, but often not as consistently, and in places where the choral texture thins out somewhat, the trumpet soloist is given an opportunity to shine. The chromatic side trip I mentioned earlier in regard to the first instrumental ritonello is not forgotten, serving as a mini ritonello on more than one occasion to break up the lines of text. Eventually, Bach begins to repeat the text from the beginning, but this time the opening motive is presented homophonically in bold, assertive block chords before once again relapsing into fugal counterpoint. As we approach the final section of the piece, more new ideas, or at least partially new ideas, are introduced, and we are propelled toward the final cadence by some striking new chromatic chords before pulling up almost abruptly on the final cadence in D major. We'll hear the opening ritonello and the first section of fugal imitation. next a recitative with the evangelist first setting the scene and then Herod attempting to mislead the wise men. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and carefully learned from them when the star had appeared. And he directed them to Bethlehem and said, Go there and inquire carefully about the little child. And when you have found him, come back and tell me so that I also may go and worship him. This is followed by another recitative, this time by the soprano, directed at Herod, and considerably more emotional in nature, with accompaniment by the orchestral strings as well as continual. The text is, You cheat, you only seek the Lord to bring him down. You use all your false cunning to hunt after the Savior. But he whose power no man can measure still remains in safe hands. Your heart, your false heart, is already, with all your treachery, by the Son of the Highest, whom you seek to cast down, 
very well known. This is followed by a lovely soprano aria in A major and 3-4 time, the text of which is, Just a wave of your hand, cast down the powerless strength of men. Here all might is derided, if the highest speaks one word, to put an end to the pride of his enemies. Oh, then at once must thoughts of mortals be changed. Accompanied by strings continuo and oboe d'amore, which dominates the opening ritonello and plays an important role in duetting with the soprano, it features an elegant, confident melody that seems to stress the effortlessness with which Christ casts down his enemies. We'll hear the opening of the movement. Evangelist returns with Luke's account of the wise men. And when they had heard the king, they went away, and see, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them until it came and stood over the place where the little child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced greatly, and went into the house, and found the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him, and opened their treasures, and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A lovely chorale follows, accompanied by strings and oboes, the text by Paul Gerhardt, providing another devotional reflection. The text is, I stand here in your crib, O little Jesus, my life. I come, bring, and give you what you have given to me. Take it. It is my spirit and mind, heart, soul, and courage. Take it all, and may it be pleasing to you. Bach's harmonization is simple, but with a wonderfully pensive quality. We'll hear the opening of the chorale. The evangelist then continues, And God ordered them in a dream that they should not return to Herod, and so they departed by another way back to their own country. This is followed by a longer devotional tenor recitative which runs the gamut of emotions with numerous tempo changes and lyrical insertions from two oboes de more. The text is, Go then, it is enough that my treasure does not depart from here. He stays here by me. I will not let him leave me. His arm out of love with desire full of gentleness and with great tenderness will embrace me. He will remain my bridegroom. I will dedicate my heart in prayers to him. I know for certain that he loves me. My heart also loves him ardently and will always honor him. What sort of enemy could now do me harm when I am so fortunate? You, Jesus, are and remain my friend, and I beg you anxiously, Lord, help, then let me see your help. We'll hear the first part of the recitative.
This leads into a tenor aria, again accompanied by two oboes de more, which further develops the recitative theme of standing against Christ's enemies. The text is, Now, you arrogant enemies, may try to scare me. What sort of fear can you arouse in me? My treasure, my refuge is here with me. Though you may appear ever so fierce and threaten to cast me down once and for all, yet see, my Savior lives here. The aria itself in B minor and 2-4 time is not particularly militant-sounding, but there is a sense of determination behind it, due in part to its insistent and often unvaried repetition of its main thematic ideas. Here's the opening of the aria. We hear next a unique recitative, actually more of an arioso, brief but shared by all four soloists, with the soprano taking the lead. What will the terror of hell do now? What will the world and sin do for us, since we rest in the hands of Jesus? Final chorus, summing up, if not the entire oratorio, at least this sixth and final section, is built once again on the so-called Passion Chorale, presented stoutly by the chorus in traditional chorale texture, with the full orchestra providing a regal opening ritonello and intervening passages between the verses. The text is, Now you are well avenged on the host of your enemies. Christ has broken in pieces what was against you. Death, devil, sin, and hell are weakened once and for all. With God is the place for the human race.
Bach's Christmas Oratorio, its various examples of repurposing earlier music notwithstanding, is one of the composer's greatest achievements and more than worthy of its current popularity. For our next episode, we're going to return to Bach's instrumental music and look at the four orchestral suites. <laughs> 